And at the end of Philippians chapter 3, the movement, the looking, the longing is forward and upward and onward. And that's not just because we have a moon scene behind me this morning. This is what the text commends to us. Paul uses phrases like, I press on. He uses phrases like, I'm straining forward and awaiting. He he speaks like a runner who wants to win the prize. And that prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He speaks like a pilgrim that is longing to get home. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior. So this is basic Christianity. We ain't going backwards. We're pressing on and we are going forward. We are pressing on and looking out. And these verses in in Holy Scripture, they are meant to stir us, church, to press on and to strain forward. This is not just accounting for us Paul's posture, but he's accounting it so that it would be the Philippians and so that it'd be yours. And mine this morning. They're preserved that we might press forward and preserved that we might look out. That is, look out for worthy examples to imitate and unworthy examples to avoid. And so, if you have your Bible open this morning, to Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. Apostle Paul writes, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things To himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come once again to your word, I pray 
that your glorious acts would thrill our hearts. Lord, that we would be compelled by what you have done, Lord, to seek you, to press on, to look out. And I do pray this morning, Lord, that you would use our time together to fix our eyes on the things above, on you. Lord, that we would leave here today more aware of your presence, that we would leave here today more aware of heavenly realities, more hopeful today than how we came in. Lord, lift our gaze, thrill our hearts today. And I pray, Lord, for any who do not yet know Christ that are here today. Lord, we're so glad they're here I pray you would use your word and the gospel that's preached, Lord, to impart spiritual life. Lord, doing only what you only can do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Apostle Paul is urging the Philippians through his own example to press on. And to look out. So verses 12 through 16 urge us to press on. Verses 17 through 21 urge us to look out. So let's begin with pressing on. The basis for Paul pressing on in the Christian life, it's given there in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own. So Paul says, I I haven't obtained this. The this refers to the resurrection in the previous verse. He says, "I, I haven't been resurrected from the dead yet. I haven't been glorified yet. I haven't been made perfect yet. So as long as I'm shy of that, I press on. And we would find ourselves in a similar place this morning. You know, at the time the book of Philippians was written, Paul had been a Christian for nearly 30 years. That's 30 years. And so if you ask, Paul, what do you mean? After 30 years of walking with Christ, of knowing Christ, of serving Christ, of proclaiming Christ, of suffering for Christ, are you telling me you haven't arrived yet? And he would say, yes. Yes, that's exactly what he's saying. And so he says, I press on in the Christian life. You know, we often hear the phrase, nobody's perfect. I don't know if you say that often. I don't know if you hear that often. I hear it quite a bit. Nobody's perfect. And for some people, nobody's perfect is a crushing, discouraging reality. Like it's just ways that I wish I could be perfect already. I wish I, I could be done with all struggles, all sin. And so this, this is a burden lifting verse here, verse 12, because it means your spouse, your parents, your children, your pastors, you yourself have not arrived. You're not perfect. And that's meant to like lift us up. That is going to be true of each and every one of us this side of heaven. 
But usually when people say, hey, nobody's perfect, it's not so much the crushing reality as it is, it's kind of this lax attitude. I'm like, eh, it's, it's fine. Nobody's perfect. Like, why should I even try today? I'm going to sin. Uh, why, why should I even try to glorify the Lord? And, but, but notice what that phrase, nobody's perfect, does for the Apostle Paul. Verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. It, it leads him to press on. It leads him to, to want to make progress. Well, why? Why does it do it for him? Well, it's because of something else in verse 12, this amazing grace. He says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Christ Jesus had made Paul his own. Yeah, that word to, to make something his own, it's actually used three times. It's a single word in the original. It means to win or to seize or to apprehend or even sometimes it's translated to arrest. And this is a great description of what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who Christ has made his own. It's not merely someone who believes in Jesus. Yes, we do. It's not merely somebody who is forgiven of their many sins. Yes, we are. It's not merely someone who is headed to heaven. Yes, yes, that is where Christians are headed. But all of this is gloriously true because Christ has made us his own. He has apprehended us. He has seized us. He has laid hold of us. And so Paul says, I I want to lay hold of something because I've been laid hold of. I want to make something my own because he has made me his own. And so pressing on, this whole response of pressing on, it's a response to grace. He's not just saying, well, I'm imperfect. Nobody's perfect. What should I do? I don't know. I got all this free time on my hands. I know what I'll do. I'll press on. No, he says, Christ Jesus has made me his own. He has apprehended me. Oh, and some of you here this morning, you remember that day so vividly when you were made aware by Christ. He made you aware of your need, of your sin, that you need a Savior. And then he made you aware and made known to you the greatness of his grace, that he receives sinners, and he's made atonement, and there is provision. And then he opened your eyes to his, the debt that he paid on the cross to save you from your sin, and your heart leapt. And he says, he looks at that, and he says, he laid hold of you on that day. He seized you. You became his own. He brought you out of slavery to sin, slavery to shame, slavery to Satan. And that was a glorious day. Some of you remember that day. But even if you don't remember that day, 
I, I, in fact, don't remember the exact day I came to know the Lord. You know this result. Even if you don't know that day, you know this result. Just as you had once been in the clutches of sin, so now you are in the clutches of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the basis for why he says twice, verse 12 and verse 14, why he says, I press on. He says, I haven't been made perfect yet, but Christ Jesus has made me his own. So I press on to make it my own. And so what what does he press on towards? Well, look at verses 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Based on everything we've seen so far in Philippians, this does not surprise us. It does not surprise us to see what is this one thing that he's doing and that he's pressing on towards. It is Christ. He's pressing on towards the one who made him his own. And Paul's using race language here. The the straining and the pressing forward. And even when he says toward the goal, it's... That word could also be translated finish line. So instead of a literal race with a literal finish line and a literal victor's crown, it's a spiritual race with a spiritual prize. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wants to hear his name called. Paul really wants to hear Jesus call him upward and homeward. He wants to dwell with him for all eternity. And I would just ask church, is there anything that can compare to that? Is there anything as wonderful as God and Savior calling your name homeward and heavenward? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. No more scam likelies on your phone. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus, calling us homeward. You see, this is why we are urged to set our minds on the things above. This is why we're urged here, through Paul's example, to press forward. Because Jesus Christ is the prize. He's the prize. I don't know if any of you have done Cracker Jack boxes. They seem to have gone out of style recently, but I had my fair share of Cracker Jack boxes, and it always said on the box, a prize inside. And the prize was something that was about an inch by an inch, made out of paper, and two seconds later, it was discarded. That was the the requirements for the, the Cracker Jack prize. Never something that I thought, now that was immensely rewarding. Not worth the name prize. And yet, in our passage here this morning, Jesus Christ is worthy of the name prize. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus is what he is straining for. 
being conformed to his image. This is what gives liveliness and vigor to pressing on is that he is so worthy, so glorious, so rewarding. So many of the things that we go after in our lives fall immensely short of Jesus Christ and are no prizes in comparison to him. He is the prize. Now, the Bible is very clear. As Paul is straining forward, the Bible is very clear. We cannot work to save ourselves. No one can pay for their own sins. No one is good enough to stand in the presence of God. Salvation, everyone needs it. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Christ alone. And so in one sense, when it comes to our justification, there are no works allowed. But in another sense, in our sanctification, there is loads of effort as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute in being made more like Christ. In sanctification, we are running towards glorification. We don't just automatically just, Lord, zap me today, I get more sanctified. Zap me tomorrow, I get more sanctified. We're running, we're pressing forward towards our glorification. I mean, just listen to the language here. Pressing on, straining forward. I would just ask you, is this language you're familiar with? In your walk with God. What, hey, Aaron, what are you doing? Oh, man, I'm, I'm straining forward. Like that that wouldn't be uncommon for us to talk like this. Because the opposite is like a let go and let God mentality. Just, yeah, he's going he's gonna to do it. And he is. But we're straining. We're pressing on. You see, we're, we're given not the let go and let, let God mentality here in these verses. We're given the pressing forward mindset. Look at verses 15 and 16. Coming out of this pressing forward mindset, he says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul's point here is that pressing on is a mindset of maturity. Pressing on is a mindset of maturity. And you know, over the years, as I've been a Christian, and then more recently a pastor, I appreciate more and more what Paul is talking about here. Because it's quite the balance. It's quite the balance to so rest in Jesus Christ for our justification that we do nothing to add to it. Nothing commends us to God. And yet at the same time, we are seeking to live holy lives where we are pressing on and straining forward and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. If people think that you are trying too hard to live a godly life, They may look at you like you're a legalist. 
They may be like, what? Why, why, why won't you watch that movie? Why won't you wear that bathing suit? Are you a legalist? I mean, come on. But if you're resting too much in Jesus, or they think you're resting too much in Jesus, the accusation goes the other way. It's not a term people use, but the, it's essentially an antinomian. And it's like, what? You don't feel bad for days when you sin? You must be an antinomian. You, you think you can just keep on sinning that grace may abound. And so that's why Paul strikes this balance. He was laid hold of by Christ, all of grace, and he presses on. And he says, this is mature thinking. This is a mark of maturity. And then he exhorts the Philippians there in verse 16, to hold true to what they have attained. That is, there are so many things we don't know about God, so many things we don't know about his gospel and about Christ, so many things we don't know even about our own hearts. And yet he says, well, what you do know, I want you to to live according to that as a mark of maturity. And so Paul isn't going backwards. He is pressing forward. He is straining. He's pressing on. He calls the Philippians to the same. And then in verses 17 through 21, he goes from pressing on to looking out. Looking out. We're to look out for two groups of people headed for two destinies. Look at verse 17 again. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul is still on a topic that he has been on since chapter 2. He's talking about examples to follow and examples to avoid. In chapter 2, he pointed out the perfect example of Jesus Christ. Perfectly humble. You never have to filter following Jesus' example because it's perfection. But then he he pointed out two imperfect but worthy examples. Timothy... And Epaphroditus, he did that in chapter 2. Then he opens chapter 3 and he points out the Judaizers. He says, look out, look out, look out. And he warns the Philippians against following the example of those that add to the gospel saying Christians need to adopt Jewish practices in order to be saved. And I just found myself, like, as I was studying this passage, I'm like, well, here we are again. We're... Talking about examples. Why does Paul spend nearly two chapters of his four-chapter book talking about examples? And it's because, I think, it's because we are all following someone. And we're prone to follow people. We're all looking at others either admiring qualities in them or admiring their attainments. And so Paul is just seeking to bring God's eternal perspective to this moment. 
that you and I would get this. Everyone you and I are following is either an enemy of the cross of Christ or a citizen of heaven. Everyone you and I are following is either headed to heaven forever with God or hell apart from God forever. And it just puts things into perspective. So here he he lays this out and he cannot speak about the enemies of the cross without tears filling his eyes. He says, I tell you now, even with tears, this isn't about winning an argument. This isn't about who's trying to prove someone wrong. It isn't about an eternal destiny, church. I just think about this, like as we interact with people and you begin to realize, I don't know if that person knows the Lord. We're talking eternity apart from him. Everyone you have ever met, everyone you ever will meet will end up in heaven or hell. And hell is real and it is deserved and it is disturbing. And everyone in heaven deserved hell. And the only reason we're not all there, that hell is not bursting at the seams, is because God is rich in mercy and grace. So we shouldn't talk about hell lightly or talk about lightly about people that are headed there because Paul, Paul weeps over these enemies of the cross. I mean, when you hear that phrase, an enemy of the cross of Christ, like what comes to mind? How might we recognize a person who's an enemy? Look at verse 19. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So what do they live for? Their God is their belly. That is, they live for their appetites. What do they celebrate? Enemies of the cross, what do they celebrate? It says they glory in their shame. So they celebrate shameful things. They celebrate the very things that show them to be enemies. What occupies their thoughts? It says their minds are set on earthly things. You see, these enemies of the cross of Christ, as far as we know, they weren't murderers. They're enemies because they live for the next thing. They celebrate things less than God and they think primarily about this life. Which is easy to do. Do you remember when Jesus rebuked Peter? Jesus was telling his disciples that he was about to suffer and then die on the cross. And Peter said to him, Matthew 16, Far be it from you, Lord, that shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, 
For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, Peter wasn't praying to Satan. Peter wasn't engaged in witchcraft. His mind was set on earthly things. One writer, Ray Ortland Jr., he says this. He says, Peter did not have to set his mind on the things of Satan to be useful to Satan. All he had to do was set his mind on the things of man, on obvious, understandable, intuitive, human things like survival. That's all it takes. It's easy to play into Satan's hands. No one less than Peter did so. And so in contrast to these enemies of the cross of Christ that set their minds on earthly things, These faithful followers of Christ have their minds and their longings set on things above. Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Christians, Christians are longing for Jesus to return, longing for heaven, because that's where our true citizenship lies. Yes, we are dual citizens. We're citizens of a nation here on earth, But if you have trusted in Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. And that citizenship never ends. It never comes to an end. And this idea of citizenship, when the Philippians were hearing this, this would have rung loud and clear for them. Uh, In that book we recommended by Sinclair Ferguson, he explains, he says, Philippi had become a Roman colony during the previous century. It was governed by Roman law. Its inhabitants wore Roman dress. They used Latin in official documents. Even the architecture of Philippi had become Romanesque in character. Most significantly of all, the citizens of Philippi had the privilege of being citizens of Rome. To live in Philippi But to be a citizen of Rome, living the Roman life while absent from the Roman capital, what an ideal illustration of the Christian. We are in Christ. We have experienced the heavenly calling. We belong to another country and are citizens of a different city from this world. This is why the Bible uses so many different words to describe Christians. We have pilgrims, like on a journey going somewhere. Aliens, we don't belong. Exiles, we're outside of our homeland. Strangers, sojourners, we are not home yet. We await a Savior. A savior. Savior was one of the many titles given to the emperor Caesar. 
He was called the Savior of Rome. And yet, we're awaiting the Savior from the city, our heavenly city. We await a Savior. His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's no emperor of this world. He's not a presidential candidate in the next election. We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so instead of following people whose minds are just fixed on earthly things, we're to imitate those whose minds and whose longings are on their heavenly citizenship. People who long for Jesus' return. Not, not just know it in the Bible. Oh yeah, that's right, Jesus is returning. But like we're waiting, we're longing, anticipating. Yeah, one of my favorite ways of seeing this anticipation is I had read C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Horse and His Boy. Some of you are familiar with that book. The horse's name is Bree. He's a talking horse uh, from Narnia. But he's lived most of his life outside in another country, and he's trying to get back. And so him and the boy, they're making their way to Narnia. And just over and over again, either as they're talking about it or they're about to set out or something, he expresses this longing with this phrase to Narnia and the north. And he says it like six times in the book. To Narnia and the north. It's his longing expressed of I can't wait. I want to be home. Our citizenship is likewise an expressed longing. It is in heaven. I can't wait to get there. Jesus is coming back. The king will return. We're wired for this heavenly home. And it says that when he returns, he will transform our lowly, humble bodies to be like his glorious body. It's amazing that Jesus took on a human nature. But he says here, he's coming back again. And when he comes, we will take on our resurrection bodies are transformed to be like his glorious body. He became like us. But when he comes back, we're going to become like him. That's what's going down here at the end of Philippians Three, this finish line that Paul's talking about, this goal, this prize, it's not like a finish line, like you just, you cross it and you're like, whoo, I'm done. Yeah, I mean, look at this, to cross the finish line is to have your body totally transformed. No more aches, no more pain, no more swelling. No more eyes that are failing or ears that are failing. No more cancer. No more tests to even see if something might be wrong. No more infections. No more loss. At that moment, we cross the finish line. What he says here is, we have obtained the resurrection from the dead. We've reached the goal. 
we get the prize. We hear him call our name. The pressing on will be shown to be totally worth it. Christ Jesus, who made us his own, now becomes fully our own. We cross the finish line. We arrive at the city where our citizenship is for eternity. Our bodies transform like his body. And we'll reign with him forever and ever. And so, J.I. Packer once said of this, he said, We run so slowly and strive so lazily because we so little mind the prize. Oh, church, let us fill our gaze today with these heavenly realities that Jesus Christ is worth it. He is the goal. He is the prize. Being with him, citizens, body like his, in his presence forever, reigning with him forever and ever. Let us mind the prize and then let us press on. And look out here today. If I could invite the worship team to please return. Are you pressing on? It's a good question to consider today. Perhaps you're not. Perhaps there's more drifting and you lack this eternal perspective of the goal and the prize in Jesus Christ. Perhaps your mind is set on earthly things. Well, God's word is here for us to impart perspective and his Holy Spirit in us is what imparts power to press on. If Jesus Christ has made you his own, Press on to make him your own. And we do this knowing that the end is coming and it is not an empty hope. Transformation is not an empty hope. Let us press on, church. Another question would be, are you looking out? Are you looking out? He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And he has to say, keep our eyes because our eyes bounce Our eyes have to be kept. Our eyes drift from certain people. and We're like, oh, admiring things that we shouldn't be admiring. We are either following enemies of the cross or heaven-bound citizens. And we don't have to invent the way to the heavenly Jerusalem. All we have to do is just follow the people that are headed there. They're longing. They're looking. They're awaiting. And we just say, I'm just imitating them as they imitate Christ. And we do this, church, because we ain't going backwards. So let us press on and let us look out by God's grace. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it's still a prayer for this time that you would impart greater heavenly appetite to me, to us this morning, 
that we would await, that we would long, and Lord, that that would give rise to our efforts and our straining and our pressing on. We're so grateful, Lord, that you have made us your own. And I pray for any here today, Lord, that you have not yet apprehended. May today be the day, the glorious day of being apprehended by Christ, that they would see their need for a Savior and they would see in Christ all sufficiency, all salvation, all forgiveness, all treasure, all wisdom in Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we grow lazy because we lose sight of the prize. We go, grow lethargic because we lose sight of what is truly glorious. Lord, we get distracted. And I pray you would fix our gaze this morning. Help us, Lord. Help us to do the very things you command. But beneath every command, there's a promise that you, by your Holy Spirit, are going to help us. Help us to keep our eyes. Help us to press on and to look out. And oh, Lord, as we encounter lowly bodies, help us to long all the more for this transformation that is guaranteed. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.